Hello, Sales Lift audience. It's Tyler Lindley here, your host. Today, I have James Ryder with JR Consulting on the show. Welcome to the show, James. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. Great. Doing well. Yeah. Glad to have you here. So uh, uh, we'll kick it off and just uh, if you can tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do there with uh, JR Consulting, James. Okay. Yeah. What I do is I look and help failing sales teams, turnaround teams, and new startup businesses with their sales efforts and how they're doing it. Sometimes sales teams are, are deemed to be failing when actually it's not the sales team. So I'll also look at the management side of things as well. And yeah, we're quite buoyant at the moment because within the present economic climates, people are perceiving that their sales teams are failing. Hmm. Right. Interesting. So when you come in and you, you mentioned, you know, sometimes you're looking at sales teams that aren't doing so well. Sometimes it could be actual the, the sales reps. Sometimes it could be the leadership. How do you determine, you know, kind of who's at fault there? What, what is your process for going in and figuring that out? So I will do a couple of days or a week or so of covert work with the company. So I'll say to the, the management team that are looking to improve things, Take me on as a new rep or a potential new rep and I'll go out with your sales team and I'll work with them and see what your products are and how you're doing it and uh, what you're doing. And within that, they invariably open up as to what they see the problems are, the issues with the company and that sort of thing. That way it gives me a base level as to where I'm looking at. Hmm. I will also be observing um, how the back office team and the uh, senior management team are interacting with the uh, with the sales guys, and again, that will also give me an idea. But the best indicator ever is when the guys are saying, "Oh, it's the office again. Do I have to answer it?" and that sort of thing when mm. you're out on the on the on the road with them. Mm. It's a bit of an indicator. Interesting. So, do you find that in that situation, or a lot of the front frontline sales reps are they pretty open with you? Uh, do they are they pretty candid about you know what's going on in those situations? First, first hour or so, they tend to be a bit guarded, but you have a laugh and a joke with them. I've been in sales pretty much all my sales, uh, working life, so I, I know the, the right things to say and how to say it and, and when to say it, and I can get them to open up a little bit. And I'll ask key questions. I'll ask the question is, how's, how, how does it work? So if you get uh, an inquiry out here and you have to pass it to the office, how does that work? How do they interact with you? How do they, how do they get back in touch with you? Mm -hmm. And invariably, they'll come back and say, oh, I have to chase it up. That's not the role of a guy out on the road. The role of a guy out on the road is to be able to do the job. Mm -hmm. The back office is there to, to support. If they're not supporting, then there's an issue, not with the sales team, but with the organization. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. You talk about, it sounds like some of that admin work that might get dumped on a sales rep takes them away from their time selling and out in the field, revenue generating activities. What would you do in that kind of a situation if you see that a specific you know sales rep or the frontline sales team, they're just, they're getting bogged down with too much work that's taken them away from those revenue generating activities? How would you go about you know trying to figure that situation out and potentially solving some of those problems? Right. So if I come across that sort of thing, I look at the CRM system um, to see what they're doing and how are they doing it. It's, everybody has to have a CRM system. Otherwise, it doesn't matter whether it's just a list on a whiteboard or whether it's on Excel or whether it's a, a bespoke package, but you have to have some sort of CRM. That CRM should, in theory, be able to support what you're doing out in the field. 
Now, if you've got um, an area and the, the area is supported by back office people, they should be generating leads for you. But also, if you've got a lot of paperwork, so they want brochures sent out or they want just some contact and, and some information about a product, that should be done from the back office. That shouldn't be done by the guy out on the road because you're out on the road for a reason. You're out on the road to get in front of people to to actually promote what you're doing. That could be at an exhibition. It could be at a roadshow. It could be face-to-face with a company. But at the end of the day, you've got to be able to be supported. Now, if that support isn't coming, you're going to go and you're eight-hour day out in front of people unless you're driving to different appointments. But your eight-hour day is going to be truncated at the end of the day by two hours of admin. Mm. Or your day is going to be increased by two hours of admin. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't help morale. So if I saw that, one of the things that I would be saying to the senior management team and the directors is you really need to sort out this for the guys because you're taking away valuable selling time. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is at the end of the day, <laughs> what they're paid to do and, and what impacts their their bottom line, their commission check. So anything that we can do to empower those sales reps to sell more, to sell better, and to do less of that admin work, I think is important. One, you know, one additional question I'd have is, you know, are as you look at some of these sales teams and uh, you maybe start to identify that the issue, you know, maybe it's not so much at the front line and the back office, some of that's okay, but, you know, maybe they're having issues with some of their, with their direct, you know, manager or with a leader or even, you know, further up at the executive level. If you identify some of you know, issues or you start hearing some rumblings that are, that are happening, you know, kind of above at the, st- at the next level, what would you go about doing in that circumstance? How could you fix, you know, kind of the executive team, if you will, or, or the leadership team? Well, in my experience of people that I'm working with in turnaround companies, where they say that the sales team is failing, mm-hmm. I find it's around about 80% of the time, it's not the sales team. Mm. Uh, 80% of the time is senior management and above. So, I can give you a bit of an example here. I was in a company before Christmas mm-hmm. and they bought into what I was saying. So I went out with the guys. I did my research properly. Mm-hmm. They really bought into it because they had the whole company in the meeting, the two-day meeting that I was doing mm. to put them right and help them. They employed temps to answer the phones and to put holding calls out. Mm-hmm. And the first question I asked when I had everybody in the room after I've done on introductions and everything was who in this organization does the sales. And I was expecting a room full of hands. Mm-hmm. What I actually got was a room full of fingers pointing at the sales team. Mm. And I took a deep breath <laughs> and I then said to the, the senior management and the, the, the directors, do you guys ever go to networking events? Do you ever, see people in the pub or uh, at functions and say, here's my card, give me a shout. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we do. Right, okay. And do does anybody in here ever answer the phone when the phone rings? <laughs> and they all answered the phone. Mm-hmm. So it took me a while, did an exercise, and then asked the same question, who in here does the sales for this company? And they hadn't got what I was saying, so they all pointed at the sales team. Mm. So I did another exercise, but took the senior management team to the breakaway room 
along with the directors. And mm-hmm. to be fair, what was needed is what they got. I um, I ripped into them <laughs> in uh, a big, big way. Uh, to coin a phrase, I ripped them a new one mm-hmm. and told them in no uncertain terms that the problem with their company wasn't the sales team. Mm-hmm. It was them. And if they didn't sort themselves out, they were going to go under. Mm. So we went back into the room. I did a, another exercise, but this time I sent the sales team out to go and get cake and um, coffee and, and drinks. Mm-hmm. And I have a book, uh, and it's just a picture book mm-hmm. with all the pages removed. And it starts with a blown-up picture of a cone off a cockerel. Mm. And it goes all the way out and expands all the way out to a, a planet in the universe. Mm-hmm. And what you have to do, you give people the pictures. There was enough to give them just two pictures each. But they're not allowed to show anybody what those pictures are. And they can only describe what they've got in that picture. That is the only communication you're allowed. And what you have to do is get the story from start to finish Hmm. and get all the pages in the right order. There are no numbers on the pages. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make it any easier. (laughs) We did have a bit of a giggle because one of the girls had the first picture and she says, it turns out that she's a farmer's girl. Mm-hmm. and she recognised what it was straight away. <laughs> and she says, I have a picture of a large cock, which, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> which every, everybody just fell about laughing. <laughs> uh, and I just went, can you describe that a little bit better, please? <laughs> <laughs> um, eventually, and it takes about half an hour, we got the story mm-hmm. in the correct order, and they did it. Right. The reason I use that book is because you have to use the senses that we're given mm-hmm. in that order. Mm-hmm. We have two ears, we have two eyes, but we only have one mouth. And that's what I wanted them to use, was their eyes and their ears, and then describe what they could see. I then called the sales team back in, mm-hmm. and I asked the question again, who in this organization does the sales? And this time they got it. Mm. And aside to that, I had a, a, a telephone conversation with the MD uh, about a week or so ago. They just finished their uh, quarter. Their quarter is a funny way that they does it, but it's from December through to end of February. Mm-hmm. And they were up a huge, huge percentage in sales from what they'd done previously. Right. Both year on year and quarter on quarter. Right. So he's he did say he would get me in. Uh, again in right. six months time just to give a, a recap. Yeah. No, it sounds like that was a successful outcome there. I mean, you brought up a, a few different points. I mean, I think the first thing is everyone's in sales, whether it doesn't matter what your role is and you know, whether you are actually, you know, have sales in your title or whether you're a senior leader or whether you work in, you know, a different different department at the end of the day, everyone yeah, does it, right, James? You could be you could be the receptionist. Right. But you are the face of the company when people come to see you. Mm-hmm. And they could be potential customers. They could be potential sellers. Mm-hmm. You don't know. So you are the face of the company. So how do you if how do you do that then? How do you arm essentially the entire company to act and think like a someone in sales and to present themselves in that manner? How, do, how does an organization do that? Because obviously they would focus on the sales team and, and making sure that they knew what to say and and did good discovery and and you know executed a sales process correctly but if you're talking about the rest of the organization they may not they may not get that same kind of training how would you go no. about doing that and implementing a system like that 
it's it's an attitude shift. Hmm. You have to change the attitude of the company. If it's a sales organization, and most companies are, to be fair, mm-hmm. even accountants mm-hmm. are salespeople, essentially, yep. because they've got to sell what they do. So you have to have an attitude shift. You're not necessarily a salesperson per se, but what you are is the face and the voice of a company. Mm-hmm. So you have to get them into the attitude and the regularity, if you will, of saying, and by the way, is there anything else we can help you with? Hmm. It's a sales question, but it doesn't come across as a sales question because you're talking to people on the phone mm-hmm. and these people have probably phoned in to ask about a different product. Right. And sometimes, and I've seen this happen, I was I was actually working for a company before I went self-employed mm-hmm. and I was actually on the phone to a company and I asked that exact question and it turned out they were working on a different project that we knew nothing about Mm. but it was one that we could do with our eyes shut and they hadn't put two and two together Mm -hmm. and the the customer actually said oh we're doing this but we don't think it's your your area of expertise right okay explain send me the drawings let me see he sent me the drawings over i phoned him back 20 minutes later and looked at the review i said we can do this Mm -hmm. i said in actual fact we did one two weeks ago Mm. well i didn't know you did that i said well that, unfortunately, is the way people have been dealing with you in the past. Now mm-hmm. I need to come in to see you guys. I will bring one of my engineers with me, but I want to see everybody that deals with engineering and everybody that deals mm-hmm. with the products that we're selling. I want to like a, a mini conference. Mm-hmm. And there was 10 people within that company we didn't even know existed that were buyers. Wow. Now, if a back office can ask that question, mm-hmm. is there anything else that we can help you with? you might just find projects that nobody knew about. Right. And yeah. It's, it's an attitude shift. Yeah. It's such an interesting, such an interesting way you put it as an attitude shift. Cause and it really does. It starts probably at the top with the uh, senior leaders of the organization and, and trickles down to every single person, no matter what their role is. And I think that that's, that's crucial because that attitude shift, like you said, could uncover, there are people in some certain situations, certain conversations that could uncover opportunities, but they've got to know that that's a part of their responsibility. That's a part of what they should be doing. And, and that attitude, like you said, is, is important uh, regardless of who someone is or what their role is. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and Senior managers are senior managers. They've either worked their way up off the sales floor or various other ways through engineering or mm-hmm. whichever way they get to the top. The people I have the most problem with in a sales organization, the CEO, CEOs or the MDs mm. that have come through the fiscal route, they've come up through the, the accounts management, mm-hmm. accountants, accounting, account uh, director, and then to the very top of the tree. Why those folks, James? <laughs> right, because they see because they see the numbers, they see the bottom line, they see the top line. What they don't see is the interaction in between. Hmm. They're looking to push the the numbers all of the time. Sometimes in sales, you've got to take a step back from the numbers and say, "Do you know what? Actually, on this job, we may need to take a little hit on our profit line." Hmm. So but you think doing? It, yeah, it sounds like they're so numbers driven that they might lose sight of maybe the reality of some certain situations and what's, what is and isn't possible or. Yeah. And that was the case of the company I spoke to you about before the MD and 
the FD, the finance director, were the two that were running the company. Mm-hmm. However, the MD was also a chartered accountant. Mm. So all they saw was my sales team is failing. Mm. In, in actual fact, it was more fundamental than that. And I spent, I did spend another week with the senior management team changing their attitude after that. Right. But the, the majority of the, the, the people below the senior management team bought into everything mm-hmm. straight, straight away. Once I got that sorted, I, I did a couple of scripts for people on, on the phones. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I changed the way they were wording things and just put key things in. Right. But I also sat with, I had a whole week of meetings with the senior management and got them to buy into the fact that yes, the bottom line and the top line are important, but also is people management is very important as well. And if you don't manage your people right, your business is nothing. Right. No, that's a great point. Uh, A lot of what we've kind of been talking about James and what you, it sounds like you do a lot of times is essentially sales enablement. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of what sales enablement means to you. Okay. For me, it, it sales enablement can mean a, a million and one different things. But for me, it means that the whole setup enables the people that are out there selling to do their job properly, mm-hmm. because if they can't do their job properly, the people in the back, back end of it, aren't going to get paid either. Mm-hmm. And it's a sales organization that is set to fail. Mm-hmm. So you have to enable the people that are out there. You have to enable people in the office to make a decision. Because if you enable people that are just picking up the phone and saying, say it's a, a sales engineer that is internal sales, he may be absolutely brilliant at telling you how to take it apart and put it back together again and making it work. Mm-hmm. What you'll also be very good at, but he doesn't know it because he's an engineer, is able to talk to people in the way that they want to be spoken to. Right. And he can enable that person to ask the right question, which means that the salespeople can go in and sell them the right product. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a complex question, but a very simple question at the same time. Yeah. No, I love the way you put that. And I, I agree that. Sometimes you mentioned the sales engineer in that example. Sometimes you've got to teach them to think and and ask questions a little bit differently because they may not naturally have that skill set. So, but it is still important. Uh, just like we mentioned, it's an attitude shift and it's everyone's responsibility to help you know help sales and the sales organization. Because if not, I like to say you know if, if when your sales reps miss quota, everyone loses. So to your point, no company can succeed without sales succeeding first almost it is, so. it is everybody it's everybody from the cleaner right through to the md and the owner yep because if the sales team don't make uh make their sales and hit the kpis then everybody else it, it falls there's an inordinate amount of pressure on sales teams mm-hmm. that can be taken away by people asking the right question when a customer or potential customer answers the phone in, in, in an organization mm-hmm yeah, one of the things uh, to go back to one of the points you really originally made, James, you said that when you go into an organization, you almost act like a new sales rep. And uh, part of that is kind of you essentially kind of doing a quasi onboarding, I'm sure. Let's talk a little bit about onboarding and you know as you as you bring new people on into a sales role, into a sales organization, that onboarding experience, what I've seen is is crucial to their success, to whether or not they hang around and, you know, and to the, 
to the entire success of almost the organization of the, and of the, that sales culture, what are you seeing as some best practices for onboarding new sales reps to set them up for success as early as possible? Okay, so the first thing is product knowledge. Mm-hmm. You can sell anything, but if you've got the product knowledge, it makes it better. Hmm. So for me, onboarding, I would have a new rep go out with all the other reps in the in the company mm-hmm. and spend two or three days with them, listening to what they do. Mm-hmm. But I would also enable them that if the existing rep has missed something, to be able to speak up and say, actually, have you thought about this? Hmm. Because it makes both sides feel wanted. Mm-hmm. Product knowledge would have to be ongoing. I personally, when I've taken reps on, I've actually gone out with them on their patch mm-hmm. and introduced them to some of the key customers. We all know that 80% of your, your sales comes from your top 20% customers. Mm-hmm. Right. The old 80-20 <laughs> yeah. rule. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows that. Yep. But actually, the next 20% are where all your gold mine is, where your nuggets mm. are. You're talking so about I, the, you've got the top 20%. You're talking about that next 20%, right? The right next after. 20%. Yeah. That's where they're you can really ones, make your make your hay. Yeah. They're the ones where you may not have asked the right somebody may not have asked the right question. Like I said before, if you ask what else can we help you with, mm-hmm. you find that they're actually doing a lot more than you realized. And if a rep salesperson is intent on that top twenty percent, that's where they, they tend to concentrate. And mm-hmm. I've got no problem with that. However, when I'm onboarding somebody, I want them to start with the next 20%. Hmm. Why start there, James? Because we can always look after the key accounts in the top 20%. Mm -hmm. Management, sales managers can always do that and introduce the new person to those people as and when they're ready and and right to do so. Mm -hmm. But that next 20%, you've actually got nothing to lose (laughs) by making a mistake because they're not really buying off you anyway. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I give them a task in the first two weeks. One is to look at that second 20% and the other is to contact all the people in their their new area mm-hmm. that we've lost over the last two years mm. and ask the question, why? And if I do that, then they then get a feel of what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And they also get a feel of, actually, this company could do better and I can make it do better. Mm-hmm. You give them that sense of enablement mm-hmm. to be able to make mistakes mm-hmm. because all new reps make mistakes. Yes, we've got to go through all the health and safety protocol on onboarding. Yes, we've got to go through all the HR stuff. Mm-hmm. And believe me, my partner is a, a ch- chartered fellow of the Institute of Personnel and Development. So believe me, I know all about that. <laughs> uh, um, yes, we've got to go through the area and how you're going to look after it and, and all your customers and your key accounts. And these are very important people. We've got to keep them on board. Yep. We've got to look, but you, the people that we've lost, we've lost them for a reason. Now it could be that they've gone out of business. It could be they've changed direction, but it could be that we've made a mistake and we don't know. Yep. And no. the previous rep might have just said that sudden. Yeah. I think that's a great point. You know, I, I've heard it a lot in my sales career about, you know, call your clothes lost, call your clothes lost. What are, what are you doing with that, that bucket of folks that have looked at 
the product or service in the last six months or year or five years or whatever the whatever the time yep. frame may be. But if you if you don't call them, and I loved your point of ask the question why, because there probably was a reason, but th- that that reason might have changed now too. I think there's an opportunity there to understand that their situation could have changed, and uh, maybe they didn't buy because of this, but things have changed now and they're ready to look at it again. But if you don't know to go and ask those questions, I mean, I think that's a great exercise to have new sales reps do uh, because it gets them, like you said, acclimated, talking to customers, but also, you know, not in high stakes situations with some of your top tier clients. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I started my sales career. I might, my uh, proper career started as an apprentice electrician. Mm-hmm. So I'm an electrical engineer by trade. Right. I was between jobs and my father's friend, had split up with his business partner and they did power transmission. Mm-hmm. So the one partner kept all the bearings and the uh, sprockets and the chain. And the other partner said, right, I'm going to go into the plastic side, the wear strip, the, the uh, keg turners, the, the star wheels and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And he needed a couple of machines wiring. So I went in to wire his machines for him, makes rates, all the rest of it. But I went in to do that. And he actually said to me, I've got nothing to lose. He said, you're out of not really working at the moment. Mm-hmm. If I give you a car and some business cards, do you want to go out and sell my products for me? <laughs> now, at the time, I thought plastic was something you carried your shopping home in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hadn't got a clue. Mm-hmm. But what I did, I did some research in the library because back in the uh, late 80s, uh, mid, mid 80s, late 80s, we didn't have the internet like you do now. Yeah. I researched plastic, I researched the history of plastic and what it did and how it did it. And Mm. I went out and banged on doors, Mm. literally banged on doors, because we didn't have any customers. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that top 20%. So I banged on doors. I knew every in the the local industrial estates within a five-mile radius of, of where we were, I knew every single business in every single unit on those industrial estates, mm-hmm. what they did, how they did it, and why they did it. Whether they were worthwhile me knocking on the door or not, within six months, we were turning over £26,000 a month, wow. which was which was pretty pretty cool. I didn't think it was that good. But actually, <laughs> looking, at the time, I didn't. But looking back at it now, mm-hmm. that was from a standing start. That was actually pretty, pretty unusual. Mm-hmm. To me, a great example of you going out and getting the product knowledge yourself. Like you mentioned, you had to go and research these things at the library. And then also not only that, but knowing your territory, that, that five mile radius better than anyone. I think that's a good point of knowing where does your opportunity lie? What's going on with these businesses and how can I now apply, apply that product knowledge to this territory and, and go out and like you said, bang on doors and make it happen. So, And you will be surprised how many people salespeople don't know what the units are doing three or four units away from where they actually are. Mm. And they could be one of their, potentially one of their biggest customers. Mm-hmm. Right. It's almost <laughs> seeing the forest for the trees a little bit, I guess. Is, uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got, I've got a tenacity. I, I started life disabled mm-hmm. calipers on both legs. I was not needing flat footed. I had calipers think forest gump for four or five years. Mm. I, got determined in that uh, time. I was determined I was going to ride my bike. I was determined I was going to ride, uh, climb trees. Mm-hmm. I was determined I was going to do everything that everybody else did. So my my partner calls me pig-headed. I, I eat <laughs> determination. Uh, 
Sometimes those uh, can be synonyms, I think, you know? Yeah. I mean, she's, <laughs> she's, she's a rock and I'm a hard place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that determination, that tenacity, if you will, rolled itself over into to my, my, my hobbies as well as my working life. Hmm. So I, I play, I, I ended up as a, uh, because of the calipers, they made me swim. Hmm. Uh, so I didn't get muscle wastage. Right. And I, I, I competed nationally and internationally. I, I went on to play water polo hmm. and complete, competed for northern counties. I then discovered rugby. Hmm. And rugby has been the sport of my life. I've been involved in rugby for 45 years, both as a player and as an official, as a referee. Hmm. I got all the way up to just below the pro level as a referee. Hmm. I've refereed in front of six and a half thousand people. And if you can operate and make decisions in that environment, mm-hmm. you can operate and make decisions in your work life. Mm. Now, for me, when I'm onboarding somebody, I want to know what, what their hobbies are, what piques their interest, why do they do it, and how. And then I'll explain to them that, I've used my hobbies all the way through life hmm. in my work and actually have uh, the fact that I was a, a top level referee on my CV because it shows that I can work under pressure. Yep. Yeah. I make mistakes. Every referee makes mistakes. Every player makes more. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, you've got to be able to operate under pressure to be a referee. Mm-hmm. You've got to be fit. You've got to be brain fit. I went back to university to read physics and chemistry mm-hmm. because I was selling instrumentation and process control equipment into the chemical industry and into the oil and gas industry. And my own curiosity, I wanted to know more about the reactions and, and how things worked. So I wanted I went in to do a degree. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I had a series, very serious road traffic accident whilst I was doing the degree. but So I didn't finish. But during that time, I was tested and found out that I actually had I have dyslexia. Now, for that me, you didn't find out about until no, much. I was forty. I was oh, actually wow. forty when I was diagnosed as being dyslexic. Wow. Now, for me, that explained a lot of things because I don't see problems; I see solutions. Hmm. Um, the little box that everybody goes on about living in. Well, I don't know what that box is because I live way outside it, <laughs> and that's where, as a, a sales enabler, as a sales trainer, as a, a somebody looking at new businesses or turnaround businesses, mm-hmm. I tend to be able to see a problem that people haven't even noticed. Hmm. Yeah, that's a but great point. See, well, I say, say see the problem, I can see the solution to the problem that they've not noticed. Mm-hmm. And that makes a huge difference to the way I go in and, and look at something. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's such a great point. I love the question that you asked. You, you asked new onboard, you know, as you're onboarding someone new, what are your hobbies? What do you do outside of work? At the end of the day, we all tick, you know, probably, probably with something that's outside of work a lot more, but finding out what are those things and how can we apply some of those same principles like you, you and the, the rugby refereeing and, and your tenacity and, and also understanding to see how to see things differently. I think that's a huge asset in, in sales and sales leadership and going in and doing what you're doing with these companies from a sales enablement perspective. So I love that question because I think that's a, that's missed a lot of times. I think that we we look at these sales these new sales reps as just 
you know, someone to hit this quota and and that's all they're good for. And at the end of the day, they're people and, and how we can relate to them, especially in that very fragile early stages where they're unsure of whether they want to be in sales and they don't know if they want to work for this company. And, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, I think. I think anything you can do to, to humanize that process and also make them feel heard and make them feel valued, I think is extremely positive from a morale perspective and probably from a production perspective too. I would say those folks could take some of those lessons and actually apply them and probably do a lot better, you know, earlier on than, than other reps that, that maybe well, didn't feel heard. Yeah. Well, I, I go one step for, further when I, when I've been onboarding people, when I've been employing people, mm -hmm. I've always guaranteed their bonuses in the first year. Wow. Because I know having been in that situation, you're not going to do it in the first 12 months. Mm -hmm. So when I go into companies and say, this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. That is one of the things I always say to them. Guarantee the bonuses in the first year. You're not going to get a rep hitting KPIs and targets in the first 12 months. Hmm. What you are going to get is a lot of dissatisfaction if you keep hitting them around the head with a big stick to <laughs> say you've not reached target this month. They're on a learning curve. They've got to learn the product. They've got to learn the market. They've got to learn your ways of doing things. So for that first 12 months, guarantee them the bonuses. Do you get a lot of pushback on that? I mean, are these companies that the, weren't doing it at all or were just doing it for a shorter period of time or? No, for, from the, from the accountants. Yeah. I get <laughs> <laughs> the people who've come through sales actually say, do you know what? Never thought about that. And that's a great idea. And so from now on, we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, you can't do it for people that have been there for two years, three years, four years, because they've already, They've already right. You can't go back and do sorted. it. Yeah. No, but you can say, do you know what? This year, I'm going to give you a loyalty bonus hmm. rather than call it a, a sales bonus. Interesting. So you could actually give it a loyalty bonus. So they feel included so they feel in that part of it. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. No, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of. Obviously, I've heard of you know changing kind of the ramp time and what you might guarantee for a new rep, but then how does that make that existing team feel? How does it make the existing reps feel that that loyalty bonus could potentially be a, a response to that? So, well, yeah, absolutely. And it, it just takes away any sting yeah. and you can only do that for, for existing business and if they can afford it. Right. Right. If a business couldn't afford something like that, let's say if, you know, the, the, the accountant wouldn't let them or the, the, you know, just the finances wouldn't allow it. Are there any other things that you could try to do in that first, you know, yeah. those first few months or years to I, try to would, make that a better experience? I would take away KPIs in the first year. Just take, them, take away all take KPIs. Them away. Take them away. Okay. For the, for Why the is that, guys. James? Because you're under pressure anyway, to, as I said, to learn a new, new product, you're under pressure. To go out and see new customers, you're under pressure. That customer may not like you. <laughs> you don't know. They may have loved the guy that was there before, but they may not like you. Right. Maybe a personality clash. You may have issues. I, I started with a company many years ago and my I started just as they'd given out the new sales targets for the year. Mm -hmm. Within two months of those sales targets coming out, six of the top companies that they expected to get revenue from went bust. Oh, no. Wow. But they didn't take those off my targets. <laughs> right. So F I, Figure it out, right? <laughs> yeah, quite. And actually... I was head hunted just after that job, after just after 12 months. But that, I 
I actually was on 98% of target despite losing those six top customers. But wow. that's because I, I have an attitude of I'm going to knock on a door and see. And, and I've always ignored the horrible sign that says representatives will only be seen by appointment. <laughs> uh-huh. Right, okay. We're going to ignore that sign because I can't read. Right. <laughs> you may oh, or may no, not. I didn't. Yeah, that's I great. didn't see that. Yeah. No, I didn't see that sign. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I well, apologize. Can you just can you just give him my card and, right. and say I'll be in touch? <laughs> well, the same thing applies to making a cold call or sending a cold email, reaching out to someone on LinkedIn that doesn't know you. At the end of the day, it's the same thing as showing up and ignoring. I mean, technically, we all have that sign up at all times. So uh, part of sales is interrupting people and, and you have to do it and a polite and you know kind way, but you also have to do it. You've got to be aggressive enough to actually m- make that step. You know, jump off yeah. the jump I, off the edge yeah. of the diving board, if you will, at some point. So or, or use things to your advantage, which really aren't. So a little example here: playing rugby many many years ago, mm-hmm. uh, local derby match. Um, I was a committee member at the rugby club, thirteen captain really ripped into the referee mm-hmm. who was a club referee. He wasn't a, a society referee. He was a club referee. So he was doing his own side. Mm-hmm. And there was a, there was a lot of dobbing off and they made a complaint to the club. And that's fair enough because you should respect the referee. I happen to know the name of this guy hmm. because I've been banging on the door of that company <laughs> for the best part of 10 months wow. and couldn't get near so I said, I was in the club at the time when they, I said, it's all right, guys, I'll deal with this on Monday. <laughs> so I picked the phone. I said, by the way, give me a tie. So I, I took one of the club ties and I picked the phone up and, and asked for him. And I said, uh, I'm a committee member from uh, Warrington Rugby Union Club. Mm-hmm. I need to come in and see you about the, the incident at the weekend. So he let me in. I got in through, through and the receptionist is going, how many times have I told you? I said, I've got an appointment today. Go away. <laughs> right. She said, you have not. I said, I have got an appointment. Right. So she phoned him up. We said, yes, send him up. <laughs> so we spoke, we spoke for half an hour about rugby and right. the way it was. And I pacified the guy, uh, gave him a club tie, apologized. I said, and just one more thing. I said, can I tell you what I do for the day job? <laughs> what he, he say? said? Yeah. He said, yeah, you can. I said, well, I know for a fact you've already got my stuff because I can see it behind your desk. <laughs> right. He said, oh, it's you that keeps annoying our receptionist. I said, I don't annoy her. I just want to know who it was I needed to speak to. Right. Because we can do things because they made, uh, they were an OEM, they were an original en- engineering manufacturer, and they made biscuit machines. Mm. And on the biscuits, you need wear strip and, and, and stuff and turners and things. And I knew that they were struggling to get it. Mm-hmm. And it took me 10 months. But you know what? They became a really, really good customer. <laughs> right. You figured <laughs> uh, it out, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's that's why you've got to give people 12 months to, right. to actually. And cold calling is, is a very simple game. It's a very simple game. Because if you don't pick the phone up, you're not going to talk to anybody. <laughs> um, yeah. I've sold, I've sold advertising space over the telephone for magazines. Mm-hmm. Believe me, that is soul destroying. Right. That's a tough, that's a tough gig. Soul destroying. Yep. I was doing 25, 30,000 pounds worth of sales a week. Um, and one particular week, I knew that I had to wait until the end of the week for these three people to be in. Mm-hmm. 
um, I'd been told, yes, we want to do it, but I'm away at meetings or I'm off until. And I was doing the calls, but I had no sales at that point. Mm-hmm. None. Zero for the week. And I was getting abuse thrown at me across the sales floor. I was getting paper thrown at me. <laughs> I was told that my, I, I, there was one day, every time I, I swear, every time I put the phone down, the sales manager looked at me. <laughs> and he reckoned that I hadn't been on the phone all day. <laughs> it uh, just happened to be that moment. <laughs> yeah, every single time. It's so at the end of the day, he had me in the office. Mm-hmm. He gave me a right bollocking for not being on the phones. So right. Well, I was on the phones, but that's your, if that's what you say, that's what you say. I went in the next morning as it happened. And he checked the call logs and I was on the phones for 45 minutes more than anybody else. That day. So, <laughs> the numbers don't lie, right? <laughs> no, no, quite. However, on that Friday, I had these three people I needed to speak to. Mm-hmm. And I had three uh, calls that I wanted to make. Right. And I had the day that every rep wants. First phone call was what? not one of the three. First phone call. This is what we do. This is the magazine that it's going into. This is where it can help you. Can you see where it can help you? Yes, I can see that. So I went through the sales pitch and uh, he said, and how much is this going to cost me? I said, let me just put you on hold because the, the editor's over the road, over the way he's shouting at me or something or other. Mm-hmm. So I just put him on hold. I clicked my fingers. Sales manager come over. I said, I've got a live one. Oh yeah, well, you know what you can do. I said, yeah, but he wants a double page. He said, is that what he said? I said, no, he said he wants a single page, but he's getting a double page. Mm-hmm. So a double page would normally cost £10,000. Mm-hmm. Can I do it at seven and a half? He said, you're bloody right. You know you can. I said, yeah, I just wanted to make sure you knew. <laughs> so uh, I said, what it is, the editor just shouted at me. He said, uh, he's just had a cancellation for a double page. Mm-hmm. So instead of it being £6,000 for a single page, I can do you the the... Uh, double page for eight and a half. Is that something you'd go with? And he went, can't do eight and a half, but I can do eight. Mm-hmm. I said, right, I'll send the paperwork over. Mm-hmm. And every single one of that day, every single call I made just mm-hmm. fell into place. I got six sales. Right. Cold calling is very, very simple. They're not saying no to you. What they're saying is no to your product. Mm-hmm your service at that time it's not personal yeah and too many salespeople get it into the heads that they're being rejected themselves you're not being rejected it's your product or service that's being rejected at that time yeah um, yeah that's a no that's a great lesson i i love that way of putting it i i know we could continue on forever. a lot of <laughs> yeah. great stories i do want to take us to our lightning round a couple of questions that i ask everyone to kick that off james what book would you recommend to our audience and why right the book i would recommend is nigel owens his autobiography he's the best referee in the world mm-hmm. he's the he's an openly gay referee mm-hmm. he's a great bloke he describes how he went through his uh, sexuality, through periods of the dark dog and through periods of he went up onto a hill and went to commit suicide. He didn't. His parents had found his notes and, and he was safe, thank, thank, thankfully. Mm. But he has so many life skills and so many things that you can take from it mm-hmm. that is a fantastic read. Mm. And if you really want to do it well, Learn Welsh and he does it in Welsh as well. 
Yeah, that's a uh, little bonus points for that one. Uh, we'll definitely include the link to that that biography in the show notes as well. Next question: What is your favorite home cooked meal made by you or someone in your family, James? Okay, so I was really lucky as a kid. My grandma was a confectioner by trade, mm. so she did lots of things. The thing that I make for my family, mm-hmm. and that's my four stepchildren and my two boys, that everybody wants every single time, the pancakes from my grandma's recipe. Mm. But I also make a hot chocolate, which <laughs> is absolutely divine, because what she did was put chocolate orange chocolate mm-hmm. into your hot chocolate mix. Wow. And, and it's really thick, and it's really rich, and it's really yummy. And if you want to make it adult, use an orange liqueur. <laughs> and it's an adult drink as well. Yeah, no, that sounds delicious. Awesome. What software tool or app could you not live without? LinkedIn. LinkedIn is where I get all my all my leads, where I do all my business. And Has it, it been that way for a while now, James? Or how long would you say? Yeah, I've been, I've been on LinkedIn forever. Really? Uh, okay. I, I, I have probably been on LinkedIn for, I don't know how long LinkedIn's been going and I can't find out how long I've been on, but it's got to be 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. That's, that'll be a fun fact for us to look up. I know that's uh, how we, we've interacted some on LinkedIn and that's how we yeah, got to absolutely. know each other. And that's why we're having this conversation today. So it's cool, the opportunities that you can find on LinkedIn for sure. So next question, if you could go back in time 10 years and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? If we could go back... 15 years in time. <laughs> 10 or 15, uh, whichever you choose. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm being flippant, but if we could go back 15 years in time, it would be don't drive down that road today because that's <laughs> where I have my road traffic accident. Mm. 10 years ago, my advice to myself would be do what you're doing. Remember how to listen. Remember how to interact. Hmm. Love it. Awesome. How can my listeners find you online, James? LinkedIn. Okay. Basically, I've got the, the LinkedIn link. link. Yep. That's where it, I'm not on... Uh, Facebook. Uh, I'm not on Twitter. I'm trying not to use the colloquial terms for those two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do have I do have WhatsApp. I can give you the the number from my WhatsApp. Yes. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll include the link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So feel free to connect with James there and any other fee- he provides his WhatsApp or email. So, but yeah, James, I want to really appreciate you joining today. It's been a great conversation, great stories. We will we really appreciate you you coming on, and we'll have to do this again at some point. Okay. No, that's great, and I'm happy to do a follow up anytime. It's been great talking. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the, T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas plus action equals results. You've got new ideas. Now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.